Hi, this is Larry Houston, the director of the X-Men, G.I. Joe, and Captain Planet. I'm here listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. Today, I'm doing the intro sans Kenry because he's been super busy with work today and lately. But it's super exciting the show today because Kenry and I got to sit down and talk with the man, Larry Houston himself, director, writer, storyboard artist, producer. He's worked on such great hits as like the X-Men cartoon, the one everybody loves. You know, yeah, I'm not going to do the whole thing because... I can't. Uh, Spider-Man, Captain Planet, RoboCop, Fantastic Four, uh, Zalon Chronicles, been so much stuff. Turtles, he worked on the Turtles for a while. Uh, Superman, Brainiac Attacks, you know, Static Shock, which Static Shock is an amazing cartoon if you watch it. But we had a great conversation with Larry about his whole career, about working on in animation in the 90s and 80s and 90s, and kind of what he's working on now. It's, he's a really great guy, so... Let's just sit back and listen to Kenrick and I talk with Larry Houston in his own words. All right, guys, we're back. And today it's super special because, well, if you're listening to this podcast, that means you like you. Well, you love cartoons and you love comic books and you are into geek culture as a whole. Well, we have a guy on here today that was a instrumental part of Fox's X-Men. Uh, he worked on NBC's Captain Planet and the Care Bears TV series and even a part of G.I. Joe. Larry Houston, thank you so much for visiting us here. Hey, thanks for inviting me on to your show. Yeah. This is exciting, man. How long have you been working in animation now? Um, I worked in animation for about 35 years, from 1980 until uh, 2016. And are you retired, semi-retired, or are you looking at doing some new stuff? Uh, Semi-retired right now. I've been um, doing some self-publishing, and um, before the the virus hit, I was doing a lot of conventions with the... uh, story editors of the X-Men and the voice actors of the X-Men. We were going from convention to convention, different cities for the last couple of years, uh, meeting the fans, signing autographs and um, just, you know, telling them what, what we did and all the behind the scenes stuff that 
they didn't know about and stuff like that. Yeah. <clears throat> Before we get, because I think a lot of people are going to want to really want to know about your animation career, especially the X-Men, because it's such an iconic show. But you're doing some really important stuff. You're, you have a book that is all about, I don't want to say it's all about autism, but it you do a lot of charity work with autism, and you have a book that is uh, a big proponent in the fight against autism. And I was hoping you can tell us about that and what it means to you. Um, I think I was a part of a... Um uh, a group of um, artists. Um, I, I'm actually not for me. I don't have the I don't have the information in front of me. But oh. we, you know, about the book of the autism book. I don't yeah. have it in front of me. But um, yeah, I've been a part of many different charities trying to, like you know, um, the Ronald McDonald House and um, other other charities like that. Where I I try and give back. I try and work with young kids, young minds, young artists to try and um, help them out, give them guidance, stuff I never got when I was growing up because I had to figure it all out on my own. Yeah. And uh, just try and, you know, remember what it's like to be to be on the other side of the table and to give them any and all information that's in my head, just pour it out for them to, to learn from. So hopefully when they get old enough, if they remember anything I, I said, yeah, <laughs> then maybe it'll give them some guidance. Well, in in their careers, I, I think what I was reading on was the book Focus, an autistic hero. Oh yes, that was um, that was not published by me, but I was interviewed by the lady who was in charge of that. Oh, and the way the article read. So I so just so everybody understands when I have somebody coming on, you know, I go and I try to do as much research as I can, and the one that I read had it very focused on you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I apologize. I kind of put you on the spot there because, uh, of course, that was not my goal. <laughs> okay, yeah. I remember the lady, she came by and we talked quite a bit because um, one of the things about the autism is that my older son had autism, so uh, he was a higher functioning. And um, so I could relate to what she was trying to do with the book, so I gave her an interview to talk about everything. And that's what when you said that that's I flashed and I could see the I could see the cover. Yeah. I can see the lady. Um yeah. That that's that's what I remember. <laughs> I feel kinda of bad. I gotta put you on the spot there because I honestly I took it from the article and um you know, I, I have relatives that are on this on, on the spectrum and so when I meet people that have gone through you know, that are working on projects that do that, it means a lot because I think it's it's important work. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I, um, and I support, I supported her, and and, and you know gave the interview, and um, and like I said, I also go to different charities and yeah. to help you know for kids and stuff. Yeah, you know, so stuff like that. How did you get into animation? What what was your, what was the catalyst to, to say this is what I want to do for thirty some odd years? Okay, the um, I've always liked drawing when I was. Um, I'm, I'm 65 now. When I was a little kid, the cartoon that made me want to draw was a show in the 60s called Astro Boy. It oh, yeah. Came out of, it was a cartoon from over, over Japan, just came over to America. And I would race home from school every day just to watch that show. Yeah. And was, it just caught my imagination of this little boy robot flying around. And, um, you know, I was watching on my mom's little small black and white set. So it was just really a fun thing to, to, uh, race home for to see. 
know, but my career, how I got into animation, um, is that I never stopped drawing. I junior, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. Yeah. I was always drawing. Um, but my first job was not animation. It was actually, I was, my mom told me, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you know, drawing's nice, but you need to get a real job. <laughs> and so, my, yeah. So my first seven years of working, I was a computer technician working for uh, McDonnell Douglas. Oh, cool. As a, I was working as a systems analyst. And, um, but I had friends who continue, who actually went into an, uh, animation. They were working at, uh, Hanna-Barbera, they're working at Disney and stuff. And they kept telling me, yeah, come on down, come on down, you know, give it a try, give it a shot. And I think I was in my, I think I was 24, 25, somewhere up in there. And I told myself, you know, I got no kids, got no wife, got, you know, I got to give it a shot. And so, um, I went to interview at a company called Filmation Studios. And, oh, well, yeah. And they, they were having a job offer for, becoming a layout artist i went okay shit let me let me give it a try and uh the guy was um let's see herb hazeltine was the guy in charge of layouts and so i took the the test that they gave us so i took it home did the test i failed that test twice <laughs> i was like oh my god i'll never make it as an artist oh man but but in my portfolio i had been drawing my own comic books for my for my own pleasure since you know oh that's awesome like i said and i was drawing my own version of the avengers my own version of the justice league you know that kind of stuff. yeah and herb saw it in my portfolio and he said you know you might be better suited for um storyboard which i really wasn't sure what it was but i didn't i kept my mouth shut and he so i got introduced to the head of storyboard which was uh, his name will come to me in a second. But anyway, um, he gave me a test. I took it home. It didn't seem to be that hard. I brought it back the next day, which I su- it surprised him. Yeah. Because uh, Don Christensen, that's his, what, that was his name, Don Christensen. And what I didn't realize is that everybody on that floor was working on the same script. So he had given me a live script. And so he saw what I did. And he actually put what I what I had drawn into the show, and hired me the same day. Wow! And that that was my entry into animation. That's the amazing. Thing is, is the, the thing is, is that if I had cold called Don Christensen, like I like to have a test and storyboard, I probably would have been blown off. Yeah, he wouldn't have given me a time of day. But because I was introduced by the director of layouts to the director of storyboards. I had a very, that was a great introduction. You had a chance. And so it gave me a chance. And so I was able to prove myself. And that's how I got into animation. Wow. I don't, I don't think anybody could just walk in like that anymore. Not that you just walked in, but you know what I mean? Just be like, well, let me give, give us a try and get a test and then, and then get going because that's incredible. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they did not advertise that they had a need for storyboard people. Yeah. But they did have, they did advertise they had a need for layout artists. And so that's what I went for, but it, I, my art, my anatomy wasn't strong enough, but my storytelling was, was, and so that, that skill set helped me to get my first job. Thanks for your love of comics, which is yes. awesome. What was your favorite yeah, comics when you were growing up? Um, God, it evolved. Uh-huh. Um, 
but you know, at the end it was like DCM. It was mainly Marvel at the end. Right. But I grew up. I grew up with um, the early stuff like uh, Gold Key Comics, Dell Comics. Um, yeah. Um, trying to think of some other ones. Some of the adult stuff, brands, uh, Harvey Comics with Richie Rich and Hot Stuff. And yeah. I kind of. I, I went through a lot of. Uh, Did you read Hot Stuff? I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hot I don't. You don't meet very many people who even remember what hot stuff was. <laughs> I know, uh, little Lotta and, and uh, little Audrey, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, all the early stuff. That's cool. When at Filmation, you start doing storyboards, and what shows at Filmation when you work on? Because when I think of Filmation, I think He Man. Uh, yeah, I was, I was there before He Man, and the shows I was working on was called. Let's see if I can remember. Um, uh, the Lone Ranger Tarzan hour mm-hmm. adventure hour or something like that and i was also working on flash gordon oh cool so i remember those three shows and i remember something i worked on um it was a, they did a, a, a zorro series and they did um okay what's the other one black star oh i remember black star i watched yes. a lot of black star so i was involved with those shows and then at some point um i left filmation because Back then, animation was only uh, was seasonal. Yeah, where you worked for nine months out of the year, three months you had off, because all the cartoons started in September. Yep. Because you know what I remember, Larry, was uh, when I was when I was eight. It was nineteen eighty two, and around that time, you would have the uh, they would have the special that would introduce all the new cartoons coming out that season for Saturday morning. Oh yeah. And they don't yeah, do that right. anymore. I can't, I think kids today don't understand how cool it was to have a season like you were just talking about and be able to see all these new shows that were coming out. Yeah. I think I, I mourn the, the, the loss of um, Saturday morning because it, it, it was, it was something that as a kid you were waiting you could tolerate school Monday through Friday because you were waiting for Saturday <laughs> so to true. watch your cartoons, you know? <laughs> you might have a problem getting up early to go to school every day of the week. Yeah. On Saturdays, you get up on your own to yep. watch your cartoons. And early and just make my parents so angry with me. Why are you up at 6 o'clock in the morning and turn <laughs> the TV on so loud? And I'm like, because that's just when they show... You know these shows. <laughs> yes, that's when the cartoons start, and I'm going to see them. Yeah, and later in the day they would do Looney Tunes, like around ten. And my dad would watch the Looney Tunes stuff with me. But earlier in the morning is when they would do all of the the serial style cartoons and the superhero cartoons. So that's what I would watch. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember too. Do uh, is there a show during that time? Uh, because, I mean especially in the 80s, and, and I don't know so much about the late 70s, but especially in the 80s, all the TV cartoons, um, all the animations seemed to be more uh, pushing toys, right? But some of them are very special because they went beyond the toy. Like, you know, for example, Transformers, uh, G.I. Joe, which started, you know, Larry Hama's run in Marvel Comics with G.I. Joe was spectacular. But is there something that you can think of from that time that you said that show, the writers... The, the people that did the storyboards, all of it really came together, and it was more special than people remember. In the 80s, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, um, I remember. Or maybe when um, you worked on that, you're like, I just, I loved my time with these people. Oh, well, I know a show that I worked on that I had a lot of 
uh, I enjoyed was Dunbar. Yeah. Another Barbarian. Oh, oh, I love that show. That is one of my, f- oh, I want them to make a movie of that so bad. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Dunbar was so good. Oh, <laughs> I love that Dunbar, one. <laughs> the Barbarian. Yes. Ookla, <laughs> right. Oh my God. I love that show. <laughs> We've talked about Thunder a couple times on the show before, too. Yeah. Yeah, what... Sorry. That's okay. But I remember one of the cool things about that series for me was that um, I get a chance to work with my idols, my comic book idols, because Jack Kirby would come in all the time, and so would Gil Kane. Wow. And I got a chance to meet Alex Tobes. Wow. The guy, the guy who designed a lot of the uh, Space Ghosts and all of the other shows. And he worked on Johnny Quest. No, that those those that show was like, oh man, that time period was like so so cool for me. Yeah, what were you doing on Thunder? Uh, sorry, that's okay. Take your time. No, no, take your time. Don't even don't even stress. Everything can be edited, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was get my voice. I don't know why why my voice is crying up. Ah, that's okay. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh, I did storyboards for them. On oh, nice. Thundar. Yeah. And, um, and so they did, it lasted, I think, two seasons. Yep. I worked on both seasons. And, um, at, at my best memory is that because of politics, um, they didn't pick up a third one, but the ratings were great. Yeah. They were doing really good, but it was like, quote unquote, violent. Right. To, to some people at the time. So they didn't pick it up. For political reasons, it was so good, and it changed. Uh, it changed channels. Didn't it start yeah. like on ABC and then move to NBC or something like that? Well, you might be right. I don't remember that detail. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I because I, I, I kind of remember it changing channels, or I, I read <laughs> about it somewhere that it changed channels. Is there a particular episode that you remember working on that is more near to your heart than others? I'm afraid not. It's, it's a little bit too far back. For me. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember working on a, a Thunder clone show. Um, kind of a bear tried to clone Thunder and it came up with a show called Galtar. And, uh, <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah. It's kind of a guy with a sword and a girl and, and, uh, and, uh, I don't know if he had a monster friend, but yeah, uh, they did a clone basically of, a thunder called Galtar. Yeah, you know. Did thunder. it ever air? Oh yeah. Galtar. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. And um, yeah, that was the one fun thing I remember about that show is that the director allowed me to uh, make up stuff. I could just make. I could. Re- I. I could do my own um, uh, choreography. I could make up new stuff. I could just have some fun with it, which is what I have always tried to do with the shows I worked on. I try to, um, always challenge myself visually and to, um, make, you know, if I'm working on a show, okay, I don't want to do the same thing I did before on this show. I want to try and do something I haven't done before. And I try and be creative and stuff and add stuff, um, yeah. visually because that about that time in the A, I think it was the eighties. Um, yeah. I think in the eighties, we, my when I was at Filmation, we were just starting to see some Japanese stuff come to America. <clears throat> yeah, and one of the shows that me and the crew at Filmation we were like in awe of was a show called um, Cagliostro's Castle, 
which yep. was directed by Miyazaki. Yep, that's a great and, one. Um, we were like, we we watched that on a laser disc. You know, that's the old technology, <laughs> right? And it was, it was all Japanese, no subtitles. Oh wow! But yeah, so um, we saw the original show, but it the thing was it was so well. One thing it was so well directed that other than subtext, you knew exactly what was happening. I mean, it was very well storyboarded that it was, everything was absolutely clear. Right. And um, the other thing was that he was uh, trying to do um, more creative shots, more like a live action director. And we, being in America, we were, we was, you know, we were kind of stuck in the mode of like, the basic shots and medium shots, long shots, close up over the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, pretty much flat shots, you know, left and right, you know, handle bearer going you know, here and there. And watching what he did, he, he would utilize the 2d and using simple techniques, he created like a 3d effect. And a lot of us would watch that, what he did and try and incorporate that into our, we would sit down and analyze what he did. But we would we would like to try and incorporate that into our own style. So for me, when I, as you know, I collected all of his films as he kept making them, and yeah. uh, as I as I worked on every show, I tried to incorporate that enthusiasm I got from watching what he did and trying to apply it to the shows I was working on. And so I tried to add more anime, I you know, inspired inspired uh, shots and sequences to the shows I worked on, and I add a lot of I. The only resistance we had was the American directors who were like, I don't know, they were in their fifties and we're in our twenties with these young punks, you know? Yeah. And we're trying to, we're trying to do something new and they really didn't get it. And so we had to, it was a lot of, you know, sometimes uh, bumping heads, but like I was able to incorporate a lot of that Japanese uh, style into the very first GI Joe special. Oh, that's uh, cool. Was that the Revenge yeah, of Cobra? I, yeah, the very first miniseries. It opens up on like these the shadow of these jets on the ground. That I think that's Act One. I did that. I opened the show. That's awesome. And I I tried to use a lot of that into the show. Yeah. Oh, is that for uh, GI Joe, Real American Hero in '83? I want. And, to, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have to I go back in because you know, um, is it is it Mattel or Hasbro? I was getting it mixed up. Um, wait, let me think. That's Hasbro, and I think the first miniseries was something with the mass device or something. Right, but right. I think I'm just, that's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. um, they, if you know, Hasbro has released a bunch of the original G.I. Joe cartoons on their YouTube channel for free. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. So people can go back and, and check out some of the work that was done on G.I. Joe, the animation. Because it's yeah, it's still I don't know I I, I loved GI Joe I was nine in eighty three when it came out so GI Joe and Transformers were my two big ones and you also worked on Spider Man and his amazing friends did you get to work with Stan Lee at all or was it purely just the uh, the storyboarding no Stan Lee was like right across the hall from me and we I worked with Stan for about eleven about thirteen years wow so I knew Stan almost every day coming to work <laughs> that was that was another thing like I said I. I got a chance to meet the guy who I'm working with Stan yeah. and, and every day it was really cool. And then when I was doing my freelance work, that's when I met Jack Kirby, Gil Kane. 
Oh, wow. I was told, so I was meeting in the 80s. All my idols were all around me. It was like, <laughs> were you just heaven. freaking out? You're like, how did I get here? <laughs> yes, yes. It's, the painting, it's, like a, it's like a kid in the candy store. I'm, yeah. I'm around the people who inspired my imagination. You know, it was like, it was like, Oh, the best. How much did you learn from those guys, like Kirby and Stan Lee, and did you just soak in like a sponge? Well, Kirby and Stan, I I, I read all their stuff. Yeah. I mean, because I'm a kid of the 60s, so I read all of the, I could, a lot of the, the books that are expensive now, I mean, I got them off the spinner racks, and I would take them <laughs> home and That's awesome. read them and read them. They'd be, they get dog-eared, and, uh, but, you know, I did I wasn't into collecting. I was yeah. into reading. You loved them. You were reading them. Exactly yep. what they're meant for. Um, and with um, with Kirby, um, you know, he was a very nice guy. And I was able to, a couple of times, about maybe about four times, I was able to go to his house. Oh, cool. We were able to talk, meet his wife, Roz. Um, I showed him some of my own uh, comic books I did for myself to, you know, get his opinion on stuff that I was doing. That's awesome. Um, so that, it was like, yeah, was in the 80s was like it. That's <laughs> like a really cool time for me. <laughs> I love that stuff. So you're you know, working on all this great stuff. You're you're meeting your idols and you're kinda you're just kinda just climbing this ladder this whole time because you start doing more storyboards, but you're also doing some direct some story directing as well. You're not just doing the storyboards. And at what point do you go, I want to do more of one or the other is it do you just have just a love of, of drawing because obviously you're an artist first you know yeah and then yeah. but you have these stories that you want to tell so where do you where does that line start to cross does that make sense yeah no i before before getting animation i had wanted to become a comic book artist yeah and like i think in the late 70s somewhere they were like john Bissama had these classes in new york that I really wanted to go to, but I had no money. I'm a uh, you know poor kid in Los Angeles. And yeah, I don't you know I don't know anybody in New York, so I, could, I couldn't take the course. And back then, in order to to break into comic books, you had to live in New York. Right. And so those, that door was closed to me. So I've always wanted to be a comic book artist. But when I got into animation, what I discovered was that uh, what for one thing, drawing, I, I worked on Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, so at least I got a, I got a chance to draw Spider-Man all the time. Yeah. Um, but what I discovered late in life was that I enjoyed being a storyteller as much as being an artist. That's awesome. And so that, that part of me came out to the forefront. And so about maybe about five years of being in the business, that's when I, I decided I want to be a director. I want to try and Instead of doing most shows back then were like three parts, act yeah. one, act two, act three. And I would do storyboards on like one of those three. And at some point I realized I wanted to be in control of the entire show because I had a vision of how the story should be told. Yeah. And so I was working on um uh the G.I. Joe the syndicated series. Mm -hmm. And um one of the directors left. And so I had been telling the the supervising director I wanted I wanted the job. And so he promoted me to take over what he was doing. And so that's when I got my first job at uh, directing. And um, from that point forward, I, I, I had been a, I'd been a director ever since when I got that position. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, they gave me a chance to write one G.I. Joe, too. 
um, it was called Hearts and Cannons. And so if you look it up, you'll find my, I have a written by critic. Nice. I'll have to go check it out. Maybe it's on the, uh, the YouTube, uh, the Hasbro YouTube channel. We can actually watch it cause that'd be fun. Yeah. And, uh, it, basically that story was something like, um, the, the premise is like a Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, yeah. uh, road trip film. Yeah, I, t- I took two characters. They're kind of save a princess and they got to go from point A to point B. But in the meantime, they're, they're hitting on the woman. They're trying to, you know, compete with each other with a pretty woman. It's trying to save her and bring her across the desert to you know, another, another location. That was like the, the, the basic uh, premise behind it. And then we, we layered it with the GI Joe personalities, the, the right. locations, but that was like the, the backbone of, of the plot. Nice. Nice. When you got, so <laughs> I we have to get into X-Men because I was a teenager. I think I was, so you at 92. So I was 18 when, oh, wow. when this came out, but I loved X-Men because I read X-Men so much in the, in the eighties that when I watched the pride of X-Men and it was like, why is Wolverine have an Australian accent? You know what I mean? And oh, we're, God, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, what was that about? But I was, I'm hoping that, I don't know if you know this, and, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. Wasn't the Pride of X-Men done because another show had ended, but there was still money left over, but it had been canceled? So they, so a bunch of you guys got together and created the Pride of X-Men to show what it could be? Something like that? Um, Close. Close? Uh, what it is. <laughs> yeah, I was trying, close, man. But- that's that's all from memory right there. So, <laughs> uh, the series was called uh, RoboCop, and yeah, w- what it was is that they had they took the they took most of the money from like a, a, like a one of the episodes, like episode thirteen, and they they were able to move that budget from episode thirteen and apply it to us doing the part of the X Men as like a pilot, right? To try and back then there was only three networks: CBS, NBC, ABC. And uh, we were doing a pilot tr- to try and show these people, look, um, the show, this is the show we want to do next. And we're going to put our best foot forward and, you know, do do, do the X-Men. Because back then, um, my the cheerleader behind the show was my, was my, uh, C- was the CEO of the company, was Margaret Lesh and Stan Lee, those two right. people. And so they got the, they got the funding together, they got... You know, they they put together the, the the financials in the back, you know, behind us to back the show, and uh, they gave the show to Will Minio, uh, Rick Holberg, and myself. We're all three Marvel fanboys. Yeah, and uh, so we we ran with it to to create like the best pilot we could, and they, they we were able to get the uh, top Japanese company overseas to do the animation. Like we were, we were really trying to sell it to the networks back then. Well, you, you couldn't so have a the, bigger comic book at that time either. Yes, yeah. So we were trying to hit it while the iron was hot. So yeah, to speak. and um, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, the networks were, go- were going like, "What's an X Men? What's a mutant? What is all this? Too complicated." Um, you know, pick pick whatever. I mean, they just they. Right, they were not interested in, in the X Men series, at even all. though their target audience is sitting there clamoring for X Men. Knew exactly what all that was. <laughs> well, between yeah, in from the mid eighties, eighty six, whenever it came out, to yeah. 
1992, for the networks, a successful show was either Scooby-Doo or Super Friends. Right. That's it. There was nothing else. Anything beyond that, those two um, type of shows, they weren't interested in. They didn't get it. And so they didn't get it. No, they yeah. didn't get it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So if you fast forward about four to six years after the pilot, my boss, uh, Margaret Lesh, became the CEO of Fox Kids. And so one of the first things she did was call the three of us, myself, you know, Will, Rick, and myself, and said she had the power to greenlight a show, to greenlight a show. Yeah. And um, she's putting our show on the air. Nice. So that's how the X-Men got on the air. How did you she feel when agreed. she told you that? Did you like, oh, my God, this is Oh, man, is I was jumping out on my skin. I was like, <laughs> you know. But she greenlit, she greenlit X-Men. She greenlit Power Rangers. She greenlit Oh yeah. Um, Margaret Batman Lesh, when and, she went uh, to Fox, changed everything. Yes. yes. Oh, man. She, she changed the landscape. Uh, she had the um, orders from her boss. We got to... We got to be bold. We got to we got to stand out from the crowd. We got to we have to you know because like all the kids are watching channel you know CBS, NBC, and ABC, and this little upstart box yeah just trying to you know get off the ground. So she was able to uh, go with her gut instincts, and that's how we got the X Men on the air. When they allowed you to do the things you wanted to do with with the X Men, because your guys' run, especially I think. Didn't you directed what the first like four years of the X Men animated? Yes, yes. They are so true to the books. You kept the spirit of the books so well. You know, maybe some of the costumes were different, but it's a different medium, and you guys you have to have some artistic expression and some freedom. You can't just be contained. But you guys kept the soul of it so well. What it, what is it like to you to think when people talk about it now so lovingly? You know. Uh, I don't know anybody I'm, who knows the X-Men, knows the cartoon that doesn't love that series. You know, I feel very, very appreciated now. But at the time, I had no idea yeah. that anybody liked the show when we were doing the show. Because we were like, you know, we had a nose to the grindstone. We were trying to get these shows out. And um, when we, um, the, the the book that my, the story editor, um, Eric Lewall, yeah, I wrote, um, it's a book called Previously on X-Men. And when he interviewed us, I had forgotten some things, but he reminded me that um, we had a lot of fights trying to get the version of the X-Men that you guys saw on the air because they were, they said we were doing everything wrong. Right. You know, you don't do a series. You don't, you don't do a show where a character dies. Right. You don't do a show where one person punches another person and um, you don't do continued stories. they, uh, They didn't watch Star Blazers at all then. No, no, they didn't. And so uh, there were a lot of fights. There, were, there, was, there came a point. I, I, I got. I have to read the book again. There came a point when they were trying to put toys into the show, right? And we were like being political, saying, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let we'll get back to you on it." You know, we we're trying to play it, <laughs> play them off. You know, right, right, right. Play a, a little then, aloof. Oh yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, yeah. And then um, you know, when it got to the point where they were saying. Can you include it to the point where it said, you will do this, you will do that. Yeah. There were five of us. And we said, look, if you force us to do this, all five of us are walking off the show. We're wow. wrong. We're the wrong creative team. And we had to all collectively agree. Yeah. And we were going to walk. Because you knew you had something special. You can't ruin it this way. 
Yeah. I mean, well, part of for me and, and Will and them, we compromised on the pride of the X-Men when, when we allowed them to um, uh, to make Wolverine Australian. Yeah, which was so weird. It was so odd. Yeah. It was like, wait, what? <laughs> Isn't he Canadian? <laughs> yeah. And our, our original vision was for in the pride of the X-Men, they were going to fight the Sentinels. Yeah. And the, the people in charge of the mining say, no, 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 we need action figures. Ugh. So then we got, that's how you got Magneto and his the evil mutants. Right. Because they wanted to sell toys. Right. I mean, it was still a fun show, though. I was, a, because when, I think that was like 88 or 87, somewhere around there. And I was such a um, comic book nerd. I loved the X-Men. I mean, I was a Marvel guy in the 80s. So I was reading the X-Men like it was going out of style. So when that came out and, and they actually showed it. I was I I yeah, it tripped me up that Wolverine had an Australian accent, but literally that was it. You know what I mean? I loved it other that's you know what I mean? I loved it because I'm like I'm not getting this anywhere else. You know? And then when you guys came out with the show, the syndicated show on Fox, um I I still say today and I think Johnny agrees with me, your guys's version of the Phoenix saga Aside from the comic book and the original version, that's the best version told. Yes, absolutely. That's how I read that. Or I, I was, uh, I saw that story first, then went back and read the comics, and thought it was so good. Yeah, I think you introduced such dynamic storytelling that you know I was already of age, so I, I get what I was watching. But I think somebody, because uh, Johnny's like six years younger than me, so somebody twelve, eleven, watching that. Um, you didn't dumb anything down, which I think it was the best thing about that show. No, it was it was so good. Yeah, that was what they wanted us to do. They, that was another thing yeah. they wanted us to do was uh, was to write down to kids, and we said no, we we want to write up to kids because one thing we knew was that um, if they watched it the first time when they're younger, they'll see the blow, they'll see the explosions and laser beams. Yeah, but once they're watching in reruns, they're going to catch more of the adult subtext. Yeah. And more of the, you know, what we're talking about society with, you know, with the, um, how society was against someone different, you know, and like the, the quarantine stuff that we did, um, they'll catch that subtext as they get older. So we were deliberately not trying to write down the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you guys did the days of future past and I'm, I'm always curious, did, did you get a chance to speak with Chris Claremont about the run and about what you guys were doing there? I no. I oh, think uh, the story there is might have. Yeah. Um, uh, but they basically had to, um, obviously they couldn't use Kitty Pride. So the compromise was actually turned out really good. You know, we, we used Bishop instead yep. of, and they, they adapted the storyline, but we tried to keep the heart of the original story with the, with, with the, with the new character and, and situation. So we tried to, we're all fine. That's one of the lucky things about the show is that the three of us were fanboys and the story editor and writers were all, we're all on the same page. That really never happens a lot. In That's Hollywood. awesome. You know, and it was like lightning in a bottle. We all, yeah, how about this? How about that? We can do this. And, um, I would, you know, one, another, one of the rare things we got to do was, um, and the writers and us, we're all, we could all talk to each other. Believe it or not, sometimes you work on animated shows and the writers are on over here and we're over there. Yeah. And we don't talk to each other. And so this one was very interactive. That's and, cool. Uh, so I would do things 
and make sure that if I did this, this is something it won't interfere with something they're doing in another story. Or they they gave me clues about this is where we're going with the story, so I could I could like add little visual breadcrumbs. Yeah, like connective tissue between episodes, so that uh, it felt like one long story. Right. You know, so if somebody's paying attention, they might actually see something that was foreshadowing in the art itself. Yeah, I mean, I one That's example awesome. that that a fan pointed out to me was that we did an episode where, called Beauty and the Beast, where the beast fell in love, and then many many episodes later, uh, you see Beast working at his computer. And then taped to his monitor is a picture of the girl yeah. from that episode. Um, you know, calling back that, and anybody who, who, who saw it, they they recognize. Oh, that's the girl from Beauty and the Beast, maybe <laughs> about ten episodes ago. And I right. try and tie things together, little things like that. You know, that people who have sharp eyes will pick up on those yeah. little details. Well, that gives you a feeling of a richer environment and a richer world being built in front of you, as opposed to just being let go because things happen and you want those characters to, to know that they, you know, they're affecting them still. I, yes. That's easy. Yeah. That's good. That's great stuff. When you heard yeah. the, uh, the, the intro music, what was your first reaction? The first time you heard it? Oh, I, I was, imp- I, no, I was, I drew the intro. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause that intro is iconic and the, the whole art is iconic. And then the music, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But, but you should know that the music that you got, the final music that you guys know about. Yeah. Um, that was like the 12th or 13th time the guy did it because the first the music was coming from a company called Saban and he, he was used, he had been used to just crap out the music and that's it. Right. The and same no, guy no that problem. does that did power Rangers, right? Yes. And so he, he would sent he sent us music the first eight or nine times we kept rejecting, rejecting it. And Saban was actually getting pissed because we, <laughs> we weren't accepting what he did. Right. And, but in one of the, in one of the, um, music sent to us, there was like a little snippet and you know, there was yeah. a little snippet of something. So I said, look, t- take that little piece and blow it up, you know, have to do something, but that, that's kind of like, we want a driving music. We want something that's exciting. Right. And so, over the next couple of attempts, that's when when we finally got the music that you guys know about. But the first eight were like, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that you guys take just a little snippet and you're like, okay, that's that's the feeling we're going for right there, that little bit. Now blow that up and come out. And then and to keep saying no just shows that you're like, no, we gotta get it, we gotta get it right. We gotta get it perfect. And then it comes out, and and now it's it's so as soon as the first note is played, you know what it is, and you have people doing you know covers of it and heavy metal covers of it and hip hop covers of it, and it's crazy. Yeah, and that we have to fight for that version, and we also had to fight for um, which I'm I'm sorry to say we had to tell Stan he couldn't narrate. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, why did you guys want Stan Lee narrating it? Is it was because no, we no, we did not want him to narrate it because he narrated the uh, uh, the other one, Spider Man and his um, Amazing Friends. Oh, no, the uh, Pride of the uh, X Men. Pride of the X Men. Oh. He actually wanted to narrate the show, like intro intro it. Yeah, man, he he wanted to sing some of the, the music, and we had to shut him down for that. Yeah, you're like no, but this, we this... wanted to go. 
what what Will Smith, I mean, sorry, Will Minio, Rick Holberg, and myself, what we grew up on was the original Johnny Quest opening titles. Yeah. And that's what we wanted to get. It's all music, driving, exciting. You know, you hear some effects, some sound effects, machine guns. That's what we wanted to put that into the X-Men titles. I love it. So uh, the next X-Men book that's coming out in, oh God, what is that? Um, I think it's October. Yeah. The art of the art of the X-Men, the making of the X-Men, the art, I can't remember the exact title. Right. It's coming out. And basically I, I found my original opening titles that I drew. For the oh, show. wow. And so that's, we, that's in the book. And, um, so you have your, you have your original still. Yes. Oh, that's good. So if I give you my address, you can go ahead and send them over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What I found, you know, what I did was I drew about two minutes of, of action. Yeah. And we just, you know, it got cut down to, I think the opening's a minute five. So I have way more, I had way more, uh, drawings and, and, and sequences that I needed. Yeah, and then we we pared it down to just what we needed for the for the opening. When you're working on animation, you were you started. Um, I mean, X Men ran from '92 to what? I think '95, something like that. '92, '93, '94, '95, '96, maybe somewhere around there. It's like four or five seasons. 90, or five yeah, seasons. Yeah, it's like '92 to '97, I think. Yeah, and but at the same time, you're also working on Conan the Adventurer back in 92 how did you yeah. keep your time split between the two and by the way i i love that version of conan i'm a huge conan f- fan i i i <laughs> i felt you guys did a great job on it i wish it would have stayed a lot longer than just the one season um in 92 i think we uh i was will and i both were working on conan at the same time yeah we were both on that series and i think that was in the uh, memories i think Conan was done at the beginning of the year. And then when we got the green light to do the X-Men, it was at the latter part of the year. Oh, okay. We got the green light. So it was like two to, yeah, two productions in the same year that we were working on. How tired were you that year? Not much. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, you know, we were in like 30s, you know, we could, bo- we could burn the calendar at both ends. Yeah. You're good strong. to go. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I could do that today. No, <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> Man, you back then, go we're ahead. just young, young. You know, we're just young and young and stupid, man. Right, we're just right. Having fun. You're like I can do this. It's all good. So, hey, I want to ask you some questions, and you and and you, we can edit this out if you don't want to talk about it. But I find it interesting, and I think it's in the fact that you're you're a black guy, and during that time, there was predominantly all white men doing all this animation. And was it difficult for you at times to have your voice heard or were you in a medium that you felt uh, everything was open and that you could, that you didn't feel any of that type of pressure? Um, probably going to disappoint some activists, but back then yeah. when I got into the business, it was all based upon your talent. It was a very much a meritocracy, you know? Yeah. And um, when I got my first job, um, it was based upon, you know, the storyboards thing i just told you about yeah but um it wasn't until maybe oh god maybe 20 years after i got into the business 15 years yeah um i was talking with my friends from um 
um, uh, Walt Disney. And he told me, we were at lunch, he said, you know, you broke a, a glass ceiling back then when you got hired at Filmation. I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and because uh, he was the first black animator at Disney. Yeah. And um, so I'm trying to remember his name. It's not coming yet. But anyway, um, um, I did some research asking my friends who work with me back at Filmation. And yeah, I was basically the first black storyboard artist. Wow. Saturday morning. I was the first one. Yeah. That's incredible. And, um, isn't that weird? They had other, they had other black artists who, who were like directors, character designers. Yeah. And animators. But, um, yeah, I was the first black storyboard artist hired for that position. And once I get it in there, like a couple of months later, then a lot, there were more black guys who got hired along with a lot of other, uh, women, women, uh, artists. And so yeah. the floodgates, you know, opened up. Yeah, that's good. That's good. When you did, so, uh, when, when you're working during that time, was there anything that you wanted to do that wasn't being done yet that you're like, I want to do this character in a, in a TV show? Um, we were, I was working with, um, Stanley, we went out and, and, uh, Carl Weathers, um, we wanted to try and do a show about Luke Cage back in the mid eighties. Oh, that would have been amazing with Carl Weathers. Yeah. And, um, but we couldn't, we couldn't, um, I was, I did character designs. I was working with them on drawings and stuff, but Stan couldn't get Hollywood behind it because it would have been a black lead in a show. And they, you couldn't, you couldn't sell that back then. In right. The 80s. So that, you know, he went on to do action Jackson, action Jackson. That was after, a great movie. After what we, yeah. After we couldn't get our stuff off the ground, he went on to, you know, didn't did the movie action Jackson. And that would have been our Luke Cage guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was one that I wanted to try and get done back in the eighties. You think his uh, action Jackson movie was influenced by you guys' work on, on trying to get Luke Cage going? It might have been, but I can't say yeah. that directly. You can't say that. You can't speak for him, but yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of but sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would that, that was one thing I, I tried to get off the ground. There was another show. I mean, the thing the, the company called Filmation Studios, yep. um, uh, the owner was Lou Scheimer. Excellent. He was an excellent owner, excellent boss. I remember he seeing his his animation. signature at the end of every oh, He-Man. Yeah. And um, he he actually put on the first black superhero couple back in the late 70s called Super Stretch and Micro Woman. Oh, wow. And, um, and uh, he did another show called Black Star, which is actually supposed to be a black character with all these little Hobbit characters running around. Um, but the networks didn't want to go for a black lead. So the black character was changed to like an American Indian type yep. character. I watched a lot of black star. Yeah. So the filmation was like really open for a lot of, you know, progressive open thinking. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason I got hired. Cause when I showed them, I could do the work and they liked it. That's how I got hired. Yeah. That's all it should matter is that you can do the work and that you're good. Yes. So well, that's the awesome. From, the, the act of, I just the name just popped in my head. Um, the the black animator at Disney, his a friend of mine, his name is Floyd Norman, and he was the like one of the first black, or maybe he might think he was the first black animator. Oh wow! At Disney, and I think he he did some storyboards on oh uh, oh Jungle Book. That's right. 
but he he did some storyboards on his little sequence, but he was never hired for that job. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I say, you know, I was the first black artist hired as a storyboard artist right. in Hollywood. Right. He did it, but he was never actually hired or given credit like he should have been. Yes. Correct. That's crazy. That is crazy. You uh, you worked on one of the greatest shows coming out of the eighties, and that's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you did a lot, <laughs> one hundred and eighteen episodes, man. That's that's a ton. Oh man, that was so much fun. Yeah. Again, I was. Oh yeah. So again, I'm a young person. Uh, I was able to burn the candle at both ends, and um, that was actually I was working at Marvel Productions in the daytime. And at nighttime, I'd be doing all these Ninja Turtle boards. Yeah. And so I was, I was like having fun. Um, again, on, on, on Turtles, uh, they gave you a lot of freedom. So it's like you could take the script and take it into any direction. Yeah. You wanted to, you know, as long as you stayed within, you know, uh, you know, standards. But um, I could make up new actions. I could, I could be creative, I did, guess. Did you get to work with uh, Eastman and Laird at all? Back then, no. Back then, no. I, I worked with them later in life. Yeah. But uh, uh, back then, no. It was, uh, the company was called um, Maricondry Wolf Studios oh. in North Hollywood. Yeah. And that's where all the turtles were done. That's hilarious. Is uh, 118 episodes. Man, how many times have you drawn the turtles now? <laughs> that was like uh, four years of turtles <laughs> that I was drawing. <laughs> I think it's cool that they gave you artistic freedom because that kind of makes sense. Because Eastman and Laird, I mean, they took what happened to Daredevil and incorporated their their whole, you know, history, their whole, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not create, it's creation, their, what do they call it, Johnny? Their mythos? Yeah, their mythos. But what they, their, their first, you know, when they do somebody's movie and it's their whole thing of how origin they, yeah the origin story god dang thanks right. <laughs> have you been drinking Kenner? i know drinking right tonight? that's what it sounds like <laughs> jeez man all over the place tonight no but their origin story is intermixed with with daredevil i think it's been can't it's i think it's been retcon now um but back then that's what it was because i read turtles the comic books when uh, i think the first time i read one was um, it wasn't a magazine. It might've been a magazine. I don't think it was a magazine size. Cause they only did like the first three in a magazine size when Mirage studios self-published. And then once whoever took it, I can't remember who took it, uh, started publishing for him. It came out in standard comic book form. And I, but I read those like those first 10 as they came on the shelf. And so when the cartoon came out, I was, well, this is 87. So I was 13. So I was still very much into the turtles, you know? So it was a big deal when that came out. And yeah, it was big for me. Yeah. I was eight. <laughs> You're, but 118 episodes, you don't see cartoons live that long anymore. Is there, what, what was, no. <laughs> what was, was, was it just them wanting to get that many out? Or is there something special about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that allowed them to last that long? Well, it's a, well, the, the concept is just a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. basically, you got, you got four teenagers, you know, Kawabanga, let's have some fun and fight this shredder guy and just, it was a very fun series and it was aimed at a specific uh, demographics at the time that, you know, it, it was like over the top fun, like a, um, uh, like the A team or something where it's a lot of action, a lot of stuff happens, but nobody really gets hurt, but it's a lot of fun for, you know, eight, nine to 10 year old kids. Yeah. And, uh, they love pizza. You know, it was just, it was like a big party. 
you know. And yeah. um, I, I think that led to, the, to his longevity. I mean, when you compare it to the comic book, though, the comic book was like, I won't say a parody, but, you know, they took it was a parody. canister. It was, yeah, they took the canister from Daredevil and mutated the turtles. Yep. And then they were also making, I won't say making fun of, but they took, they went after the Frank Miller stuff and it, he, they you know, mushed it all together and had some fun with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So they, that's what their fun concept was. But when they took the property, oh, that's right. They had taken the property over to Marvel Productions first. And um, we were so, the company was so overwhelmed. I mean, any, any toy that Hasbro was, was, producing we were doing cartoon show of it i mean we're, we're doing you know transformers gi joe but we're also doing bigfoot and the muscle machine we were doing in humanoids we we're doing my little pony glow friends glow worm or some some other you know we were doing all these shows we literally had to uh, not meet we but the company had to expand to two physically two other buildings there was a marvel one a marvel two and a marvel three and we, we were trying they hired all of these artists to crank out all of these shows. And so Marvel actually had no room for developing the turtles. Oh, wow. So they, they, they gave my heads up. Why don't you try this company called Mirakami Wolf? You know, they, maybe they can, they can, you know, take care of you, which they did. They, they took their turtles, which was a very straight, you know, uh, not a lot of humor. And they flipped it into something that was, they, they knew that they could, they could sell to the syndicated market. And, um, and you know the rest is history. Yeah. Well, and Eastman and Laird were fine with it because they said as long as they had, as long as it didn't interfere with their original vision of their comic book, you know, you had the comic book version, you had the TV version. Yeah. And so as long as they had their comic book, they were fine with it. And so that's how that came about. How do you work with the voice actors, or do you not have any? connection with them when you guys are working on something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We had Rob Paulson, the voice of uh, Raphael on not too long ago. And he loved his time on the Turtles from that, that series. And I'm, I'm always curious when you're animating and when you're drawing out your storyboards, do the voice actors come into play with how things are done? Or is that something that is separate? It, it kind of depend, depends upon production. Because a lot of times the, the best, the best, way, the best ideal situation is that you want the storyboard to be done before the actor gets it, so he can take a look and see what is he. Okay, what am I doing? Oh, I'm flipping this guy. Oh, I'm jumping over a car. Or yeah. I'm, I'm falling off a building. So if they can see it, they can visualize it when they go into the into the booth to record. But sometimes the uh, production happens where um, they start recording before you can draw it. And it's up to the voice director to tell him he's reading the script and saying, okay, now you're being hit by a car. Okay. Now you, you know, they, they give him um, directions and then, and then the actor voice actors got to make it up in his head. Right. Right. But that's that, you know, professional actors can do that with a uh, good direction. Right. And so um, with me, like with the turtles, I think I, I went to their sessions maybe three times, not very much at all, but in, in terms of the X-Men, that was all recorded in Toronto. And so I got to go up there several times until production. I, you know, I couldn't go there anymore because I had to keep production going, you know, in here in Los Angeles. So, um, I didn't get a chance to go over there for every session, but you know, some of them I did. Right. <clears throat> when you go through 
and you're looking at you've worked like on the real Ghostbusters, which is a lot of fun. Uh, you did like the New Adventures of Johnny Quest, GI Joe, Cops. You know, most of your stuff is is action based, and you know, not it, more serious, right? For for right. for all the intense purposes. Did you yeah. ever want to get into Looney Tunes style stuff like Animaniacs or even Tiny Toon Adventures or those type of shows that were out during those times? Um, actually, probably no, I didn't. Yeah. Only because I knew my, 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 the way I directed shows and the way my imagination ran, uh, action adventure shows, I could draw that in my sleep. I mean, I, I, I knew how to make those shows exciting, you know, and, and, uh, exciting and, uh, dramatic. Um, the comedy shows, I, I, you know, that's not my forte. Yeah. Um, I have friends who can do both, which is great, but that wasn't me. And it wasn't until late in my career that um, I got a chance to, to, to do Care Bears. And I had to fight for that one. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, my whole career has been guys in, with muscles and latex. Right. And, Double dragon. You know, yeah. And so it's like, okay, you want to do the Care Bears now? And I'm going, yes, yes, I'm a director. I can tell stories, <laughs> you know. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. I, I can Tim. make so Huggy Bear hug you. Yes, there you go. <laughs> there you, um, I know it's getting late. We probably should wrap up soon. But I got to ask you, how was working on Static Shock? Oh, that was – oh, I love that. I love that. I got a chance to work with uh, uh, Dwayne uh, McDuffie and Dennis Cowan. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, when I, when I started, Dwayne wasn't that – thrilled with me he wasn't sure what i did because he wasn't familiar with me at all but when i did the first storyboard and showed him what i was doing with static he said oh yeah man i love it thank you <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome I was, bringing, I was bringing all my x-men bringing all my um anime style to his show yeah and trying to make static really like really cool and uh, have great action sequences well i think that show for static for for the character static shock i think was super important because someone like me i grew up reading comics but i didn't know of him i didn't know that he was a character i, I thought it was born from the the cartoon you know oh right so okay. it was it was cool to see it because i think it's one of the best ones to come out in the early 2000s you know yeah. I, I put the avengers on there static shock and that you know, not very many other ones really grab my attention like those two from yeah. that time. Static Shock was so good. Yeah, Static Shock is such a good show and character. Yeah, and so it, it's it's unfortunate that he's not on now. He, they need to bring him back. I know it's a fun character, and when I you know talking with with Dwayne and and Dennis, when they created the character, they the template for them was the early Spider Man. They wanted to they they saw makes how, a lot of sense. Yeah, they saw how that the template for creating Spider-Man, the young kid with powers. And they, that's where they started with uh, static. Yeah. That and, makes a lot um, of sense. To make something that's uh, approachable and, and young kids could identify with. And, um, and when they created the show, they added the name static shock. And I think that's actually a better name, static shock. Yeah. You know? um, and um, it, it, you know, it just it was a great show. And I got a chance to, like I said, try and I try to, I try always to challenge myself. So when I did certain episodes, like when Static goes to Africa or Static, um, he goes to the future and, and discovers his future self. Yeah. Static shock growing up. 
I got a chance to storyboard all that sequence and try and make it a real good anime type um, production. I, I love that you you really tried to push for the animation for the anime style because uh, it just it makes everything so much more fluid and and feels like it's easier to get lost in the animation when you, when it's that kind of when you're doing that kind of stuff. You know, it's a little bit more artistic, a little bit more expressive than say, you know, some of that stuff that came out in the '70s that just felt very static. You know, rigid. Yeah, it's it was very flat. Yeah, and it wasn't very inventive. Uh, they didn't try anything new. And they weren't, I have to, you know, the artists weren't encouraged to experiment at all. Everything yeah. was like, you know, just get it done. And we're they're flipping pancakes and just getting it. Nobody was trying to do anything until, we, until the anime started coming over to the United States in, in the eighties. Yeah. And well, a lot of us just, just glommed onto that. Star Blazers uh, was my first animation love, you know, yeah. before everything else. And and I still love that show. And you watch it now, and there's a lot of cheesiness to it. And there's some things that could be like, okay, you guys could have done that <laughs> better. But as yeah. as a whole, it was. It, but it's exactly what they're telling you when you started doing X Men that doesn't work. It was serialized. It was people died. It was serious, and you know the story continued from from day after day. And I don't know. And I was eight seven when I started watching that and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Um, what I try and do when, when I'm working in, in the business is that I've tried to take my adult cynicism yeah. and put it over, over, over somewhere else. Yeah. And try and bring out the little kid, the nine year old kid. And I me. love it. And when I'm working on the, when I'm working on a show, I'm going, okay, if I draw something and my, the nine-year-old kid in me gets excited about what I'm doing, yeah, then I know I'm on track um, to making a sequence or a drawing fun for the viewer. Now, the stuff you just said about the show that you that you saw when you were younger, yeah, I've seen a lot of shows from the sixties and seventies. I enjoyed it as a kid, and when I go back and look at it with adult eyes, I'm, I can see all the problems. Right. But I've always, when I try and watch those old shows. I try and remember the feeling that I had. Yep. What was it about that made that show so memorable for me? Yep. And so I've gone back to seeing my, like, Astro Boy, Gigantor, Eighth Man, Speed Racer, those old shows. Yeah. I, you know, I bought them, watched them, and, I, and it's like, okay, I can, you know, I, I, start, I tried to dissect it to, to the best of my ability. I'm going, okay, when I do these other new shows I'm working on, Try and remember what made the nine-year-old kid and you get excited about the show. Oh, I love it. And I tried to incorporate that into everything I did. I still love watching Star Blazers. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I feel the same way. I remember because it was on at 7 o'clock in the morning and my bus would be at 7.30 and I would, <laughs> I'd have to run at 7.25 to make the bus, but I'd have to watch to the very end. And I used to get my mom so mad at me because she'd have to drive me to school because I had just missed my bus because I was not missing star blazers. And, you know, and it still gives me those, you know, when it's on or when I'm able to, um, I I have them, I've purchased them since then. Um, and so when I put the DVD on, it's like, it, it brings me right back. You know what I mean? It brings you right back to being, yeah, that age. And you're going, Oh man, that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So my last question for you, Larry is, uh, Something of a little esoteric, but I'm curious when you look back over your career, uh, the eighties 
in the 90s and seeing some of these shows that you worked on that you directed and how they have affected the nostalgic feeling that you and I just expressed for shows that we watch for kids. And you have grown men coming to you today and grown men and women coming to you today, (laughs) giving you that they felt this way about the shows you worked on. What goes through your mind? Because I don't know how I could, how I would react to that. I, I feel a lot of, I feel a lot of gratitude that what I deliberately tried to do in all the shows I worked on was try and inspire kids at my age. Okay. I'm, I want to try and inspire and give them something that I felt when I was that age. And hopefully it came across on the TV screen to them. I feel very, very, um, I have a lot of gratitude and I feel very satisfied that I was able to impart my childhood feelings onto them and give them something good to enjoy in their childhood. I mean, cause I wanted them to have the, uh, same enjoyment that I had at that age that I feel really, I'm very happy that I was able to do that. Yeah. And I, I tell them that, you know, I'm, um, you know, I thank you for watching the shows. Um, no, it kept me working. Kept me, you know, <laughs> <pay> my, <laughs> I could pay my mortgage and everything. Well, but, you're um, wildly successful in your attempts to create that feeling for people. I it's, it's, proven over and over again with the work that you did from Spider-Man to his amazing friends, to GI Joe, to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, to X-Men, the animated series, to Conan, Larry, I, I, I can't say this enough. And I, and I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you're an institution in the animation world and we thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the compliment. Oh yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you both. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And we're back. That was pretty cool, man. Larry was a really good guy to talk with. I actually did that interview while sitting in my I'm at mom's house while she was having surgery. Uh, she was while well, she was back she was recovering, but um, I was sitting at my nephew's desk doing that. So uh, I don't know why I told you that doesn't matter, but it's kind of fun for future historians of myself when I go back to these and when I'm really old and cataloging things and trying to figure out where things happened, I can I can listen to this and know that I recorded this one in JT's office room. <clears throat> Anyways, if you like that, you'd like to hear us talk to more awesome people, head over to Spoilerverse.com, listen to all of our back issues. And while you're there, check out all of the other shows that we have, check out our articles and our reviews and our previews and our opinion pieces and all the fun stuff by all of our great writers. And click on the store link, go to the website, go to the store, uh, pick up a t-shirt or hoodie or something to just, you know, help support the show, look fly us out while you do it, and, you know, we'll appreciate it. Oh, yeah, also follow us on Twitter, Spoiler underscore Country, because... You love us. Interactions is there. We love interaction. But without that, last thing to do, because I got real work to do, and I got other things to do. I'm sure you do as well. So, in an oceans of podcasts, we are to do. And this consumer says, read. Just read. Just read, read, read.